Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. is just in turmoil, isn't it? I don't have to tell you that. You see it, we know it, we feel it. Everywhere you turn, nations against nations, COVID-19, other diseases that we always have, sinful actions of people on display. And yet, for some, in terms of the turmoil, it's even way more personal than that, than these big world things that everyone seems to be concerned about. It might be your health your home, your finances, your peace, your own personal world. For many, there is turmoil there as well. If you watch the news, if you listen to many politicians, you will hear only pessimism. Nothing can change. Nothing ever changes. We're dealing with the same things that we dealt with decades ago. And there's not a whole lot of hope that things are going to get better. It's pessimism. So here's a question. Is there a place for optimism? Is there any place for optimism in, in our world that seems to be deteriorating? Well, the answer is yes. But only for those who are in Christ. I'm just going to say it right up front. To be optimistic without Christ is to be in denial or unrealistic. But to be optimistic in Christ is to, by faith, grasp some of the most important truths in the universe. The passage before us hits on some of those very truths. Is there any hope in the world that seems everything is deteriorating? Let's listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. So we do not lose heart, 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we need to know today why we should not lose heart. Everything around us, everyone, it seems like, that is, has a megaphone, uh, a microphone to speak, saying there's no reason not to lose heart. And yet, Paul has said in the midst of all of the things that he was facing, that he didn't lose heart. So Lord, will you, will you teach us why that's the case? We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he does address it. He tells us, verse 16, so we do not lose heart. What he is about to say, and I'm going to read it to you from his words, is that we live, yes, we live in a fallen world, but it's not a hopeless world. So he says, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So he had said earlier in the chapter, we don't lose heart. He's going to say it later in this book. We don't lose heart or we, we faint not. And he explains why. Earlier it was because of the ministry that he had been given and because of the sufficiency of of Christ and now he gives more reasons when he says we don't lose heart remember we had talked about this a couple of weeks ago that that's the opposite that's saying we take courage to use those two negatives we don't lose take those two negatives turn them around we have heart. We have courage. And then he's going to explain why. So I use the term a fallen world. And for some, and that's why I'm talking about optimism, pessimism, and all that. For some, they think that because believers talk about a, a fallen world that that we're pessimistic. It's not being pessimistic to, to talk about the reality of what God has told us of why things are taking place. In fact, it's the only perspective that enables us to understand some of what's, what's going on 
around us. So what do we mean by a fallen world? Well, sin came into the world by Adam. Adam was our representative. It affected not only his soul and Eve's soul and all of their posterity, which, by the way, that's us. Everyone was their posterity. They were the first two. So it affected all of us because God chose to have him as a representative. And if you say that's not fair, I don't like that he's my representative, don't forget there was a second Adam who was our representative. I'm thankful that God works through representatives and I don't have any illusion that I'd have done any better than Adam if it was me. I might have eaten two apples. I don't know. It wouldn't have been any better. I'm convinced of that. So it affected not only all of his posterity, but it also affected the physical world to where uh, there is a curse here in the world as well. That's why we talk about living in a fallen world. Before sin came into the world, there was no sickness or death or deterioration or decay. After the fall, all of those began to take place. Now, sometimes people, and this is a little side note here, but sometimes people say, hey, how come, you know, early in the Old Testament, they seem to live a whole lot longer? You know, what's with the 900 years, the 600 years, and, and, and that kind of thing? And then it, then it, it dwindles off. Well, most Theologians that I've read and commentators feel that, that what that is that is just the accumulation of living in a fallen world, the accumulation of the effects of sin in the world to where even life became shorter and shorter. The Bible doesn't really explain that, but it, that makes sense to me. Let me make a, a distinction here, though. When we talk about the effects of sin, speaking of illness and death, those are experiences common to all men and women, not just believers, not just unbelievers. All of us face those because all of us are descendants of our representative, Adam. And we need to understand that when something happens in our life, it's not a specific punishment for sin in my life ordinarily. Sometimes it could be, but not always. Let me explain. Here's how we know that. In Jesus' day, the, there was the, the sense that if if, if someone had some kind of a, a physical flaw or there was something wrong with them, they were mentally or physically challenged, the, the sense was this. Either they were being punished by God for their sin or their parents were being punished by God. And then they were given a child with some kind of what the world would call 
a defect. That was the assumption in his day. So we read in John chapter 9 that uh, Jesus and his disciples are, are walking along the road and they see a man born blind. And so they ask the question, okay, Jesus, which one sinned, him or his parents? Jesus' answer was, neither. Now, he wasn't saying that neither had sinned, because the scripture is very clear, all of us have sinned. But he, he was saying that the affliction that he has is not because of his or his parents' specific sin, showing us that if something happens in our life, we don't need to say, what I say, what I do to deserve this? Or what did my child do to deserve this? That's wrong thinking. We live in a fallen world. And so because of that, we are all affected by the fall. And so there are many things that happen in our lives that we would not choose, that we would see as negative, but they are not tied to a specific uh, sin in our life. So in verse 17, we see that uh, Paul, in, in saying that we, we faint not or uh, we don't lose heart, because this life doesn't compare to the next for believers. Look at verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now the first thing I want you to notice here in, in those verses is he uses the phrase beyond all comparison. He's talking about this life and, and the next life. And he says, uh, those two things are not something that can be compared. It, it, that's like apples and oranges to compare those two. We would think you could compare them and say, well, you know, the, the next life will just be kind of this life, but maybe a little better. But he says, no, they're beyond comparison. He says something similar over in Romans 8, verse 18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Paul is saying that this life and the next are so different that if you try to figure out the next life by looking at this life, you'll be way off. You will be wrong. They can't be compared. Ancient theologian Thomas Aquinas said, God destines us for an end beyond the grasp of reason. It's going to be something that we can't really figure out. So look at the experience. He talks about the weight, and he talks about light versus heavy, this light affliction is our present experience. By the way, these terms he's using would be just the opposite ones that we would use. If you're in the middle of an affliction, 
You, you, you will not be thinking about this is just a light affliction. And yet, that's how he describes it. And there's only one way he can describe it that way. He's not minimizing what any of you or we go through or he would go through. But he's saying by comparison. That's his emphasis. And then he talks about the weight of glory. And that word glory actually means uh, a heaviness or uh, a weighty thing. But here he's talking about it in, in, in a good way. When we uh, think about that, we and think in terms of uh, uh, it being really heavy and the future will be lightweight. That, that might be what we would tend to think of. What we're going through is a heavy, awful thing, but then it'll be, it'll be great and light. Paul says, no, it's just the opposite. So here's the thing. If you can envision a, a grand scale, and if you put this life on one of the scales and future glory on the other. This is future glory, this is this life. It's like a, a seesaw with nobody on one end. It's gonna go just like that because of the beauty and the weightiness of that which is to come. That kind of glory will make this feel like nothing virtually, like a, a light affliction. How can we think in those right terms? Paul says, here's our problem. We're looking at the seen, and we need to focus more on the unseen. And even that phrase is, is kind of a strange one, isn't it? Focus on the unseen. That's look at the unseen. So basically he's saying we need to do that which is impossible. How do we do that? To look at the unseen and quit focusing so much on what we're looking at. How do we get a glimpse of the unseen? Well, it's only through Christ. I, um, I saw somebody, and I don't know who it was, or I'd give them credit for it, because I, I think it's a, it's a great illustration, compare uh, Christopher Columbus coming to the New World to, to Christ and what he did with that next world. With, with Columbus, people were arguing, and they were saying, no, that's, you can't go there, it doesn't even exist. You know, there is no new world, and they argued over it until he went to the new world and came back. People did the same with death. They argued over whether there's, there's anything there, what it's like, and they were afraid until he walked into the darkness and then came back out of it to show us and to say, look, I did it. And that means if you follow me, you will do it as well. Sometimes it's even good to hear the train, isn't it? That's like something normal. <laughs> it's much louder when there's nobody in here, I have to tell you that. 
so he was, uh, you know, that's, and, and the whole idea of, uh, uh, you know, him coming out of that, what he did is then he went back and he's, he's, he's making the new city for us. That's why I like to use the term when a believer dies that that's their big day. That's not minimizing anything. It's not a big day for us when we're left behind. But it is their big day. Because this momentary light affliction is over for them. That will be a big day, won't it? Now, let me pause here, and, and I want to address this whole idea of comparison of this life and the next, because we've been talking about how, how much better it will be for the believer, but there's a converse to that, too. This passage doesn't address it, but we must. And that is, for the unbeliever, there is no comparison between this life and the next. And this is painful to talk about. Because as, as awful as things can sometimes be in this life, and, and I've heard people say, I am living hell right now, the scripture would say there's no comparison. You cannot compare. You don't even know. For those who reject Christ in this life, the comparison is only in the worst way. But for the unbeliever, as long as there is life within them, there is hope that that does not need to be their destiny. But if they die rejecting Christ, not trusting in him alone for eternal life, there is no more hope for them. Look at uh, when he talks about affliction. Another way this affliction in this life doesn't compare to the next is, is just purely the length of it. Verse 17 and 18, I just read, but... It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And then later he says, for the things that are seen are transient, fleeting, but the things that are unseen are eternal, forever. This life, whatever you're going through in this life, is described as momentary and transient brief. Now, our reality is this. If you're going through something difficult, it does not seem brief. It does not feel transient. It does not feel momentary. In fact, it can feel like, will this never be over? But even if what we're going through lasts a long time, in this life, it is nothing, he says, when you compare it to eternity. Um, during this COVID-19 time, if you have 
seen me do the benediction in any of our uh, services or if you have seen the videos that we have put out, I've said the same thing at the end of, of each one. This is temporary. We will be back together again. Now, I said that a few times, and then I got emails, and people told me when I talked to them on the phone, please keep saying that. Why was that? And so I did. Well, it was because somehow it's just a simple, comforting reminder that sometimes it's just good to hear out loud. It's temporary. Don't forget that. Don't, don't feel like what's going on right now is going to last forever. And <clears throat> that's kind of what Paul is doing here. He, he's saying this is temporary, but what he is preparing us for is eternal. And we need to be reminded of that. Because the eternal for the believer is going to be so much better. And that's his focus. Now let me give you s several applications. And I've already addressed you who are outside of Christ. So I'm talking to believers here. For those who are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. And right now, for those of you who are suffering right now or going through a difficult time. I remember when I was a kid, and I, I would go to the doctor, and you know what the greatest fear of a child is, going to the doctor. Yeah. Do I have to get a shot? That was like the worst possible thing I could even imagine. You know, and as a you, you grow up and you think, ah, shot, you know, why would I get so upset about that? But, but I, I would always think that. And what did my mom or dad, they always said this to me, it'll only hurt for a minute. And you know what? They were basically right. It was more than a minute. And the turmoil leading up to it was very, very hard. And I knew if they wouldn't answer me when I said, am I going to have to get a shot, I knew I was getting a shot. <laughs> so with all that, though, I would get the shot, and after a few minutes, the pain would go away. And regardless of what the shot was, it probably helped me in some way. And yet, for that moment... It hurt. If you're suffering now, does it matter that it's temporary? That there's something better that will last for all eternity? It, it must matter. That's why God told us this. It may not change at all what you're going through right now, but you can know this won't last forever. And then for those of you who are not particularly suffering at this point, but you will at some point, 
know that none of us are immune to aging. Ultimately, we will see the outward body winding down. Determine. Don't wait until till then. Determine that you will choose not to focus and be depressed uh, about that, but you will ask God to help you to focus on the unseen when that time comes. Here's what I mean. Here's what's going on. While the body, which is what we see, deteriorates, God is somehow putting final touches on that place for us. On that which is new for us. And that's being worked on until he takes us home or until he comes back and makes all things new. And then the new creation will be complete. John Calvin wrote this, the decay is visible, the renovation is invisible. See, that's the seen and the unseen. The renovation, his work, we can't quite see it, but it's there. If we know that, it can help when we face the most difficult times. And then for believers, we need to have an eternal perspective that helps us not to lose heart. Earlier in the chapter, Paul said this, he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with, with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's what it is, being in his presence. Fast forward to the last book of the Bible. Here's what Revelation 20 says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, that's Christ, said, Behold, I am making all things new. So here's what we know. I've done many, many funerals during my ministry. I've been to countless hospitals. Two churches that I've served have had grief recovery groups. With all that, I'm very conscious that I'm getting older. But there will come a time, according to this, when there's not going to be aches and pains and disease, deterioration. There'll come a time where there will be no need to visit hospitals because there won't be hospitals. There'll come a time where there will be no more funerals, where I have to stand in front of people who have had a loved one taken from them there will come that time and that will be the case 
for all eternity. That's the optimism that one can only find in Christ. That sounds so good to me. And if you belong to Jesus, that will be the case for you as well. Be encouraged and faint not. Let's bow together. Lord, none of what I've just said will change what's going on around us. But we're asking you to change us. Help us to take courage. To faint not. To know that while in this world we will have tribulation, but we can take courage because you have overcome the world Thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. As God's people, we respond to his word. And today our response is in song, uh, Jesus, draw me ever nearer as I labor through the storm. Let's stand together to sing.
Lord's given us another beautiful day. Let me encourage you to fellowship all you would like, but to do so as you move outside rather than congregate in here. Uh, I will not be at the back door. Uh, I'm going to go get my mask and uh, be out in the, the parking lot and uh, would love to see any of you who would like to fellowship. It's so good to see our, our congregation regathering. And, uh, and God bless you who uh, are at home. Uh, you're in our hearts and uh, trust that you have uh, sensed worship of the true and living God as well. Children of the living God, will you reach out and receive the Lord's benediction so don't lose heart. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.